All right, I'll have you take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 7. And I knew when I was on the ball field coaching yesterday that I was screaming too much. Maybe screaming, speaking loudly, and so hopefully my voice will endure as I'm still building up my baseball um, vocal cords. As you turn to Matthew, I'll remind you of a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the story of a man who served as a judge. And he tells us two things about this guy. First, that he does not fear God. He doesn't care what God thinks or about him or about his rulings. And second, this judge doesn't respect people. He has no real care for others. Obviously, it's not the kind of guy from whom you would expect a a great ruling. So we've got this judge, and then in the story, Jesus tells us of a, a widow who has some kind of case going on, and she is desperate for justice. And so we're told that she becomes persistent. Jesus says she keeps coming to this judge over and over, asking him to rule in her favor. And it's obvious that he does not do that quickly because she has to keep coming. Remember, he doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. There's no soft spot in his heart for this widow. He wasn't losing sleep over her or her need for justice. But she kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And she came so much that eventually the judge decides to rule in her favor And he does it not because he fears God, not because he cares about this lady, but because, Jesus says, of her persistence. And here's the point. Jesus says, if an unrighteous judge would give justice to a widow who kept pleading with him, how much more will God grant justice to his people who come to him and ask? If a wicked judge would give favor to a woman whom he cares nothing about, how much more will God respond to his people whom he loves when they ask? It's an incredible story, but what catches my attention the most about this story from Jesus is the way that Luke introduces it. And Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, before this parable says, Jesus told them the parable to this effect, so that they might always pray and not lose heart. And then he tells this story about this persistent widow who went and pled her case over and over and over again. And Luke says that Jesus told this story so that we won't give up. It's a pretty powerful encouragement, isn't it? As the people of God know that he hears you, he will respond So keep praying, and don't give up in your praying. And if that was the only thing that Jesus ever said to us about prayer, that in itself should be enough to compel us, to move us, to pray. But that is far from the only thing he says. He has so much to say about prayer. Throughout the Gospels, it comes up over and over, and we see his example. He was a praying person 
And he's regularly, regularly encouraging the people of God to be people of prayer. And as we've worked our way now through the Sermon on the Mount, prayer has come up quite a bit, even in this one sermon. If you have your Bible open, you may just look back across the page and remember where we've been. You can look back to chapter 6 and remember that Jesus started off by telling us how not to pray. Remember this? He said, don't pray like the hypocrites because they're praying to be seen by others. And they have these long and eloquent prayers, but they pray simply to be heard. Not by God, but by man. He says, don't be like them. Don't, don't pray like them. And then he goes on to tell us how we should pray. And this is where we get that, that model prayer, what we call the, the Lord's Prayer. We spent, what, eight or nine Wednesday nights walking our way carefully through that, that prayer. The point is that Jesus, even in this sermon, has already had a lot to say about our communication with God. But this morning we come to another section, another part of the sermon where Jesus again calls us as his people to be people of prayer. And so we'll see that here in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12. But before I read the text, I wanted to acknowledge two things that I was thinking about as I thought about us and our need for this text. First, I feel 100% safe in saying that every one of us has something that we are longing for God to do. You have someone, I think, in your life who you desire to see them come to Christ. You have a worry or anxiety that is persistent that you want taken away. Maybe you have a, a sin struggle that has plagued you and you long to be free of it. Maybe you have a grief from a loss that is deep and you want so badly to know the comfort of God. A relationship that is strained that you want to be better. Church, we, we talked a lot this year in particular about our desire to see God use us more effectively for the sake of those around us, for the sake of the lost world. We want to be effective for one another and for those around us. We want to be of spiritual good, right? So we have these things. We all have things, and you probably could add your, your list of things that you're longing for God to do. And so let's just acknowledge that we all have these things, but here's the second thing to consider, and it's probably true of a lot of us, that even though there are things we say we long for, we aren't always faithful to bring those things to God in prayer or maybe not as faithful as we should be. What we have in the text this morning is an encouragement from our Lord to be persistent in prayer, to believe that God hears and answers the prayers of his people. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. I hope you'll follow along as I read, starting in verse 7 and down through verse 12. Hear the word of God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you, then, who are evil... 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We ask that God would work in our hearts through the reading and preaching of his word this morning. Before we dive in, I want to remind you of this temptation that we've been fighting against our entire way through the Sermon on the Mount. The temptation is to read the Sermon on the Mount as a list of topics. So he talks about loving our enemies. He talks about avoiding hypocrisy. He talks about money. He talks about anxiety. He warns us against judging others. And it's tempting to see these as standalone topics, right? And we're not helping the case by spreading them out by seven days. But what I've been pushing us to see is that this all goes together. What Jesus is doing throughout this whole sermon is he's helping us to know what it looks like for us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And it's not just these individual little things, but they all work together. And so we have to ask the question again this morning, why this here? We don't just want to understand what Christ says to us here, but but why does he say it here? I think if we're honest, I, I hope this is the case, that over the past several months as we've been working our way through the sermon, that there's been some weeks when I hope that you've left thinking, that's tough. That's a high standard. I, I want to be that kind of person, but my, my flesh is weak. I hope you've left longing to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. He said, be salt and light. And I hope you left thinking, I want to be. But there's this tension, isn't there, between what God has called us to do and to be and knowing how inadequate we are to do those things on our own. And I think as we come to this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, we have more than just a general teaching on prayer, although it is that. But I don't think it's here in this place haphazardly. But that it's a call for us to cry out to God for his help as we strive to be his kind of people. Does that make sense? I I want to be salt and light. Jesus says, pray. I feel that I have been judgmental of my neighbors, like we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. Jesus says, pray. Lots of applications, but I do think it's, it's worth at least trying to see it within this context. And so he's calling us to pray, and we'll, we'll break the, the text down into three parts. First, it's a call from Jesus to pray and to pray faithfully. Second, it's a call to pray and to pray expectantly. And, and third, it's a call to pray and to pray knowing that we have a good father who cares for his children. So first, a call to pray and to pray faithfully. Look at verse 7 again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. 
worth noting that Jesus doesn't just say to us as his people, I, you should pray faithfully. He could say that, and in other places he more or less does. But here he uses these three action words, asking and, and seeking and, and knocking. And right away, maybe you have this image of that persistent widow from Luke 18 who wouldn't stop going to that judge and, and pleading her case. She desperately needed justice, and so she didn't give up. She kept going, and in the same way, Jesus is telling us as his people to be persistent. I mentioned a minute ago that we all have things that we're longing for. The salvation of a loved one, victory over sin, freedom from anxiety, This is the call from Jesus. These are present imperative verbs, and what that simply means is it means keep going. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And this is something that we see over and over in the New Testament, that we're not just told, ask God, period. We're, we're over and over told to keep asking. Let me just give you some examples. And we actually read these together. I almost pointed at the screen. I did point at the screen. We, we, we read earlier the, some of these admonitions. 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Romans 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Colossians 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's other examples, this recurring and repeated theme. Keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I get it. Well, do we? <laughs> because how often are we complacent in our prayers? We think, man, I've prayed for that for years. I'm done. Friend, can I just encourage you to hear the words of Christ? Ask, seek, knock. Or maybe, have you ever had this? I'm probably just annoying him at this point. Right? Sounds silly, but maybe, maybe you've kind of got that, like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't want to hear about this anymore. It's obviously not that important to him. And, and, and friend, if, if we think this way, we're thinking wrongly about God. Who has invited us and who never tires of hearing his people coming to him, expressing our trust, and believing that he can, in fact, change things. The Bible does not say, try it for a while. It says, ask, seek, knock, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. We've already heard the story of the persistent widow, and I, I, I feel very comfortable to keep pushing this because Jesus seems to be very adamant about helping us see this. We have this passage. We have the persistent widow. We also have this other story in Luke chapter 11. This is a story about a man who has guests show up at his house late at night, okay? And no cell phones. Maybe he knew they were coming. Maybe he didn't. They show up, and he's not prepared. He doesn't have food to get to his guests, which is a, a high social crime, okay? And so, he, sh he needs food. And so we're told that he, he goes to another friend's house and, and starts knocking. 
it's one of those things, you know, I wish I could see it more, but Jesus says that the guy on the inside shouts out and says, door's already locked. My kids are in bed. I'm not getting up. But the man doesn't walk home. No, instead, we're told, he keeps knocking. Friend, I have guests. They need food. Please, open the door, help. And then we read in Luke eleven eight, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because of his friendship, because of his friend's shameless boldness, that's what the, the CSB says, his shameless boldness, because of that, he got up and gave him as much as he needed. <laughs> he wouldn't do it for the sake of friendship. <laughs> but he said because he kept asking, he helped. What's interesting about that is in Luke 11, we have that story in verses 1 to 8. You know what verse 9 says? I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for Everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. There's no doubt, church. He's calling us to be faithful and persistent in our prayers. Maybe you're like me, sinner like me, and you want to push back. I have questions. Why would he not just answer the prayer? Why not just answer? Why do I have to keep asking? What's the, the holdup? And we're going to unpack this a little bit more later. Just a couple things just to kind of mention for now. First, he is God and we're not. Second, his timing is always best. We can trust that he will always do what's right. We also know that God is glorified in our trusting of him. And as we are faithful to keep asking, what we are doing is saying, I do believe that you can. So I'm asking that you will. I do believe God is glorified in long, faithful asking. We may have questions, but the command is clear, isn't it? Keep praying. How faithful are we? I want to just talk to us as a church for a minute, and hopefully we could all admit this together, that we wish things in many respects were different for us as a church. We wish that we were seeing more conversions, that we were seeing more people discipled, that we were more financially stable, that more leaders were being raised up among us, and in each of those cases, there are things that we should be doing, right? We have a call to evangelism and to discipleship and to stewardship. So we've talked a lot about those things. But I also can't help but wonder if we're truly being faithful to ask God for the things that we say we desire. I'll just ask you, as you hear this call from Jesus, to think about it, at least in part, as a message for us, not just individually, but as a church. There are personal implications, but as we think corporately, are we being thankful to ask and to seek and to knock? 
or are we more inclined to worry and anxiety and fear? Are we asking God to be faithful through us? Are we praying that people would be saved? Discipled? Are we asking for God's provision? And I, I know some of you are very faithful in your prayers for these things. But can I just encourage you? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. I know some of you, it's hard to think about the needs of the church corporately because your own things are so heavy. It's interesting how this phrase, it's repeated several times throughout the scriptures. And what stood out to me this week is what James says in James chapter 4. He says this, you do not have because you do not ask. What we see is that there is something to being faithful and to keep asking, to keep trusting. The call is to pray faithfully. And then the second thing, the, the second thing I think Jesus would have us to see in the sex is that we are called to pray not only faithfully, but expectantly. Look at verse 8. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, maybe you're not as weak as I am. But I'll go back to the question I raised a moment ago and admit that I've had some difficulty here because it doesn't always seem to work out this way, does it? Is it true that everyone who asks receives? Or that everyone who seeks finds? Or that everyone who knocks has a door opened? It's worth asking, but I also want to acknowledge this, that this isn't a one-time, off-the-cuff statement from Christ. In fact, we see it a lot. I'll just give you a few, just so we're all on the same page here. Matthew 21, 22. Later in the same gospel, whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. John 14, the night before the death of Christ, he's with his disciples and he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That same night, recorded in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A few verses later, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I wish to give you one more. There's others. First John chapter 5. This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And I know that may seem repetitive, but that's the point. The point is, it's everywhere. We can't deny that. Just to hear that assurance over and over should compel us and move us to pray with expectancy. And I'm inclined just to leave it there and say, ask and you will receive. So keep praying and pray expectantly. But 
I can't help but if I were you sitting there, I would ask the question, but how does that work itself out? Is that really how it works in real life? Or, or maybe it's best to say it this way. Is God some kind of genie in a bottle where whatever I wish, he grants? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, I think as we look at the whole of Scripture, the answer has to be no. In fact, we have examples of godly people asking for good things and the requests aren't granted. I did notice as I was reading through that list that there are some qualifying statements. Did you notice that? John 15, 7, for example. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What we're told here at least is that this is a promise to believers. It's a, it's a promise to those who are in close fellowship with God. 1 John 3, we read, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. So again, we see this connection between living in a way that pleases God and these answers from God. In 1 John 5, there's this qualifier. This is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we just take those three examples, what, what's at least clear is that it's not universal and it's not unqualified. God's making these promises to those who are in close fellowship with him and who are praying according to his will. And we, we see that example and even in, in Christ. Remember his, the night before his death, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he prays this prayer. This is Matthew 26. Jesus says to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And then going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And that's the request. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What we see here is Jesus praying according to the will of God. He made his request, but acknowledged that God's will may be different. I wonder how often we pray, and maybe faithfully, but we aren't abiding in Christ. We aren't praying with the will of God in mind. In fact, in some cases, we ask with very selfish motives, which is something James addresses in James 4. James says this, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I think we could probably be honest enough to say that we've been there. Is it true that sometimes God gives us things just out of the goodness and kindness of his heart? But sometimes he withholds things because we're sinful or selfish in our asking. Maybe that's a rabbit trail, but it feels necessary. But let's come back to the text. It's important for us to hear this promise, and it is important to understand the different qualifiers and related texts. But now, can we do this? Having said all that, let's just hear the words of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And this is a tricky thing I find when 
reading the Bible. Because we do need to hear the whole context of God's word. But in doing that, we also don't want to diminish the promises that God has made. And so I, I want to just encourage us, if possible, to hear both. And not just to hear, yes, but, but to hear Christ's call to pray faithfully and to pray expectantly. All the while recognizing the need for us to live obediently and to pray as best we can according to the will of God. To believe that everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. As we live for him, he's calling us to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Think about the two stories again. The persistent widow. Luke says he told us a story to the effect that we would keep praying and not lose hearts. The story of the man knocking on his friend's door in the middle of the night. And Jesus said he got what he asked for because he didn't stop asking. It should move us. And I know, again, some of you would say, I've been asking for years. I've been praying for years. I've asked, I've sought, I've knocked until my knuckles hurt. I just want to encourage you to hear the words of Christ. He wants us to be faithful in our asking. To pray with expectancy. To not grow weary. To be constant in prayer. To pray without ceasing. And let me add this. I found that verses 9 through 11 helped me to more fully understand the promises of verses 7 and 8. And how God interacts with us. Look at verse 9. He says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If you've been with us throughout our time in the Sermon on the Mount, something that I had not recognized until this time through it, um, how often Jesus refers to God in this sermon as our Father. God is the Father of all who believe. Which is incredible. In the Lord's Prayer, he begins by saying, Our Father who's in heaven. And we talk together about what that means. It means that the God of heaven, the Almighty and Sovereign One, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, that God is also our Father. And our Father is also that God. Not the Father of all, but the Father of all who believe. And we're told that for those who do believe in Him through Christ, He's adopted us, and that He relates to us as His children, which is unbelievable to think about. But yet it's something that the Bible goes to great lengths to convince us of. And this is now the 13th time in, in this sermon alone that Jesus refers to God as our Father. It's very clear. He wants us to see that God relates to us as his children, and we are to relate to God as our Father. And not only that, but that he is a better father than any earthly father could ever be because he knows more than earthly fathers know, and he loves better than earthly fathers love. 
With that in mind, we have this illustration or example about prayer. First of all, we have a, a proof text for our evil natures. Jesus, speaking to believers, says, you're evil. And if you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, and he gives some examples, he says, if your son asked for bread, if he wanted something to eat, you wouldn't give him a stone because he would go hungry. And if your son asked for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake because it would be harmful to him. You're earthly, you're sinful, and yet you give your kids what they need. You're earthly, you're sinfulness, yet you don't give your kids, purposefully at least, things that would harm them. If you love your kids that way, even with all your faults and failings, how much more should we expect from God? And we've seen this kind of lesser to greater argument several times over the past few weeks. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven, our Father in heaven, how much more will he give good things to those who ask him? And for all the questions I posed earlier, this settles a lot of it for me. We should ask faithfully, we should ask expectantly, and we should know this, God is good. He gives us good things and he doesn't give us things that would harm us. He's a good father. Chris Tomlin would say he's a good, good father. And he is. It's a reality that should compel us to bring our request to him, the father who loves us and who loves to give good things to his children. And here's something that happens all the time. All the time, God gives you good things that you didn't even ask for. And here's the greatest proof. The greatest example is that he sent his son. We were dead in our sins, deserving his wrath, on our way, every one of us, to eternal punishment. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, sent his son to die. And because of his death and resurrection, through faith, we can be forgiven. If we repent and believe, we can go from being enemies of God to being sons and daughters, adopted We can be given the right to be called the children of God and to say that he is our father. It's not automatic, it's not universal, but it's a gift to all those who believe. And this is a good thing that God gave to us that we never would have known to ask for. And for me, that helps to frame I don't always know what to ask for, and yet he's good. And sometimes I ask for things that aren't good or helpful, and God, in his love, as a good father, withholds those things. Paul says in Romans 8, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So we bring it all together and say, because of Christ, we can call God our Father. Because of Christ, we can go to him in prayer, knowing that he will not give us what harms us. And because he loves us, he will give us 
good things when we ask. So here's the question again. How faithful are we? Do we ask faithfully? Do we ask expectantly? And I hope you'll take time today or this week to consider the words of Christ. Because maybe there are things that you have asked for in the past that you have stopped asking for. Or maybe there are things that you know you need, but you have not asked. Let's come back to the context. I have enemies who I cannot love, maybe you would say. I can't put off anxiety. I I can't be generous the way he calls me to be. I, I, I seem incapable of being salt and light. Ask. On our own, we will continue to struggle to be poor in spirit, to be mournful over our sin, to be meek and merciful, to be pure in heart, all the beatitudes that we've talked about. These things are hard in our flesh, impossible in our flesh. And yet we have this invitation to pray, believing that he will answer. What we see in these verses is the character of God. We have a God who desires to do good for us. And then we get verse 12. Which starts with a so or a therefore. So, whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Which brings up another question. You're thinking, I thought we were done. That seemed like he landed a plane. And now we just opened a whole new thing. We're going to try to move through it fairly quickly here. But we, we do have this question of, Did the topic just change? Should verse 12 be for next week? We've been talking about prayer, and now all of a sudden we have this verse that says, so or or therefore, treat others the way you would want to be treated. It's often called the golden rule. Your Bible may even say that. We should treat others the way we want to be treated, or we could say love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus says this fulfills all the law and the prophets. And we know that in Romans and in Galatians, we're told that as we love our neighbor as ourselves, he says we fulfilled the whole law. And so we see this correlation between treating others the way we would want to be treated and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time working that out this morning, but this will be your homework. Take time maybe this afternoon, to consider, am I doing for others what I would want them to do for me? And let me give you some examples of some ways to tease this out. Think about it in the context of sharing the gospel. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. Aren't you glad that someone shared the gospel with you? Think about it in the context of how you interact with others in the church. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. Think about it in the context of your work, those you work with, those who are hard to work with. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Think about it in the context of your giving and of your generosity. Maybe you don't have someone banging on your door in the middle of the night saying, I need food for a friend. (laughs) Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. 
Think about it in the context of the way you treat your kids and your spouse, even, even when you're tired. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's your homework. To tease that out. To continue that list. It's an important teaching from Jesus, but here's the question I want to mainly answer for us now is, how does this connect? Well, if we back up a few verses, back to the beginning of chapter 7, we're told, judge not that you be not judged. And some would say that this connects there, and we made that connection a little bit when we were in that passage. If we don't want others to condemn us, we should not condemn them. If we want others to get the splinter out of, or the log out of their eye before they work on the splinter in our eye, then we should treat them the same way. And so we could see some connection there. More closely, however, we see this example of the character of God in verses 7 through 11. And then he calls us, I believe, to exemplify the character of God. We have a God who gives good things to those who ask. He loves us when we don't deserve loving. He is gracious towards us. And now he calls us to exemplify that character in the way we love others. So if you're thankful for the good father who gives good things to his children, then be like the father in the way that you treat one another. Love others the way you've been loved. And here's the gauge. Love them the way you love yourself. And as we do, we'll be a reflection of the Father who has loved us so well. A Father who has invited us to bring our requests, needs, and desires to Him faithfully and expectantly. Let's go back to where we started as we finish. The story of a woman who needed justice who had a judge who did not fear God or respect people. But she knew what she needed, so she kept going and kept asking. She was persistent and faithful, and in the end, the judge gave her what she asked for. So similar to what we see in Matthew 7. We have a good and loving father, and if that wicked judge would respond to that woman who asked faithfully, God says... How much more will your father answer you? So be like the persistent widow. Pray always and don't lose heart. Keep praying for that unsaved loved one, friend. Keep praying for the endurance you need to do what's right. Keep praying for deliverance from temptation. Keep praying for God's work among us and through us as a church. Keep praying for his provision. Let us be a people who long for God to work in us and through us and let that propel us to pray constantly, continually, unceasingly. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. To everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is the word of our Lord. Let's go to him in prayer.